This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And a very warm welcome to the latest episode of the Total Saints podcast. My name is Martin Stark, and once again, I'm joined by our panel to discuss all things Southampton Football Club. As every week now, we're streaming this episode of TSP live on our Facebook and our Twitter pages. It's also on our YouTube channel. Now, if you're watching live on Facebook or YouTube this evening, you can get involved with the conversation using the comments section. Coming up this week on the podcast, reaction to the defeat at Wolves. We'll look back at a great win in front of the new owners last week, and then we'll preview a huge weekend with Manchester City visiting St Mary's on Saturday. First of all, let me introduce you to our regular TSP guests. Steve Grant is owner of Saints Web, which is the independent Southampton FC website. How's your week been, Steve? You all good? Yeah, not too bad. It's been yeah, nice and warm as usual, but um, yeah, good to good to uh, get out on on Tuesday for the uh, for the Brentford game. That was kind of I mean I think I think we kind of expected to win but I think it was a pleasant surprise the the sort of manner of it all wasn't it it was um all very comfortable for the most part yeah. I think we're not used to that are we <laughs> no no I mean the I mean going what uh 25 minutes half an hour with a with a three goal lead at the end of the game and you're thinking well I mean this is this is done isn't it it's a while since we've been shouting ole ole um, with uh, with 15 minutes to go. Uh, Glenn is also with us. Glenn's the writer of the blog League One Minus 10. How's your week been, Glenn? All good? Uh, yep, it's been okay. Everyone's recovered from COVID. Who had it? Good. Um, good so we had to sort of segregate our house for a bit. One one of my daughters had it. So, uh, but it didn't stop me getting out. I uh, played indoor cricket on Monday and we won. So we're officially better than the England team. Um, <laughs> we've won one game this season anyway. All right. um, yeah, Brent, Brentford game on, on Tuesday night, which uh, broke up the week nicely. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yep, here we are. Good. And Dan Sheldon is the Athletics dedicated Saints reporter. Busy week for you last week. It's been a bit quieter this week, Dan, if you managed to catch your breath. To a certain extent, yeah. But there's been uh, a lot of other stuff that I've been working on kind of chipping in elsewhere. So just as busy, plus with the game in the middle uh, of the week and then Wolves yesterday, uh, as yeah. busy as ever, really. It hasn't really settled down too much yet. <laughs> Good. Uh, well, the biggest hello and thank you is reserved to our patrons wherever you might be listening or watching this week. Welcome to episode 183 of the Total Saints podcast. This is the Total Saints podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenda LaCour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. 
Now, first this week, an impressive Christmas and New Year run came to an end with defeat at Molyneux. So let's get into that. Was that a fair result or did we deserve to get something from that game, Steve? Um, it's a frustrating one in that, um, I mean, it's kind of raised it when, when we did our predictions last week that Wolves are largely eye-bleedingly terrible to watch. And for the most part, for the most of that game, that was that was the case. Um, you got Matinho and Jimenez rolling around um, when someone dares to breathe on them at, at various moments, and the game was really stop-start. But I thought we, I thought for the most part, we were we were comfortably in the game. Certainly, first half, we'll give away a silly penalty. It was one of those ones where I think if the ref had given it initially, I don't think anybody would have any any particular arguments with it. Um, but having not given it. And then it's gone to VAR. It's like, well, is that really a clear and obvious mistake? You can, I mean, the fact that they looked at it about 47 different times, pretty much all from the same angle as well, which didn't, which I don't think helped. Hmm. Um, I think he was all, I, I think I'm not convinced that was really one that you necessarily need to overturn. And then, of course, we then get the inconsistency of not getting the decision our way in the second half when Romeo's clearly kicked in the penalty area after he's uh, knocked the ball away. Um, so, yeah, but. It was kind of frustrating, um, but we didn't help ourselves. Um, silly defensive errors. I think it was uh, Teller gave the ball away, didn't he? About thirty yards from thirty yards from goal in the build-up to the penalty decision. Bednarek dives in on eight Nori when he doesn't really need to. All he's got to do is just block, just put a blocker in there rather than try desperately try and lunge at the ball. I mean, the second one. What, I mean, what can you? What can you really say about Fraser Force's positioning? I mean, <laughs> we, just, will, we will get onto that in quite I mean, a lot of detail, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, it's just extraordinary. <sighs> yeah, it, I mean that that one's that was just that, that just absolute chaos. And then the third one, I think, is largely because of um, because Lianco's down injured, mm. and all of a sudden Traore's got 30 yards of space to run into. Um, but it is immensely infuriating that we've allowed Connor Cody uh, what no Premier League goals in what, four years, and Adama Traore, no assists, no goals in about 18 months to both score against us. I mean, that is that is kind of peak Saints, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Glenn, Ralph said afterwards that the, the game wasn't really the moment for Carl Walker-Peters to start. Were you surprised to see an unchanged starting lineup, certainly after the games that we'd had in the previous week? Yes, because I felt that with, with Brentford, the, the formation was okay and in the second half we played very well but I thought the first half we looked quite disjointed and it, it just it just looked odd and I think we, we won that game as much because Brentford were terrible so I was surprised that he stuck with it I don't know how fit Carl Walker-Peters was I would I would like to think that if he was fit to play that he would have started I'm not blaming Nathan Teller I just I, I don't personally maybe I'm just you know old-fashioned I don't like this formation I don't like this, you know, playing Perot basically as a left winger because when it comes down to defending, you know that Nathan Teller is going to get found wanting a little bit. Now, you, you could argue that it was his man that scored against Brentford. And as Steve said earlier, he kind of gave the ball away in the defensive third to which led to the, you know, the penalty being given against us. But yeah, I was surprised that it, it I was surprised that he picked the same team, but you know, but but having done that, we I, I largely agree with what Steve said about the uh, the game and and how it panned out. We we were okay, but we 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 chucked them goals at bad times, hmm. and and with a team like Wolves, who are they are good at managing the game, but the way they do it is horrible. Um, with all the all the throwing themselves around and um, you know, going back to the penalty incident, I I struggle with the way it panned out because we didn't even get a review really. 
of of our shout and the reason for that is because probably because they got a load of players around the referee and all the pushing and shoving starting so you can imagine the guys at Stockley Park going oh there must be something we need to look at here let's have a look at this whereas Romeo too honest for his own good gets up gets on with the game no science players get around the referee and I, I just wonder if again we've been victims of being too nice Dan you're so often the voice of reason when it comes to to referees and, and VAR what did you make of the, the the one that went against us and the one that they they didn't look at that maybe they should have done I thought in watching it live I thought it was a penalty Is that you, I, you you're quite far away at Wolves from the, the goal and it just looked all I could see was Bednarek just lunging in and I mean, Bednarek's got that in his locker. He's probably the, the clumsiest Southampton defender. He's the most kind of mistake prone. Um, although I think Lianko will give him a run for his money in time. I saw the replay. I thought it was a penalty still. It looked like he got the ball, but I actually think he kicked the floor, which then kind of made it look... It was just a really... I mean, Steve said they showed the replay so many times, but I came away and thought penalty. And then, as the others have said, the Romeo one, if you give the if you give the Bednarek one, you have to give the Romeo one because it, it's you know, there's contact in the box. It doesn't matter where the kind of ball was. Wolves weren't going to score from that chance that Bednarek took him down. Saints, Romeo wasn't going to score, but that's kind of, for me, that was irrelevant. But the referee on the whole, I actually thought he had a really good game. And the Wolves fans were on his back non-stop. But I generally thought he was very good, let the game go. And there was another point I was going to make, actually, that, that Glenn was talking about Saints being too nice. And that's a point that Ralph kind of made, but he made it in a, in a strange way because he complained about Wolves and their kind of play acting. And then at the end, when... Lianco gets a knock. Lianco's kind of just there waving in the referee. It's quite funny to watch, just waving in the referee's face as if to say, and then Ralph's like, in that situation, you have to go down and just roll on the floor. And I mean, Ralph was quite strong on saying, you know, it it puts him off English football when he sees the play acting side of it, but then he wanted his player to do it. So you kind of think you have to, as you say, you have to be a bit more streetwise. And Southampton have shown themselves to be a bit more streetwise with some of the stuff they're doing. But I agree with Ralph and that if Lianco's feels as though he's, you know, taken a knock, he has just to go down, roll down, yeah. roll, hold your head, whatever. But then I also think the other defenders, they thought they played Triori offside, then just stopped. So they just stopped. They thought, oh, he's offside, but he wasn't. And they let him have that clear run on goal. So all, all three goals in isolation were, were quite disappointing from my point of view. Is that the problem, Steve? We need to be a bit... A bit, um, a bit more dirty. Do you think? Do we, do we get that penalty if, if, um, if we're all in their place like Wolves were in the first half? I wouldn't say dirty because we've had what twelve red cards under Ralph, haven't we? Streetwise, um, so that's a good word. Isn't so it? we're, so we're certainly not, not struggling in, in the discipline Savvy. Um, side of things. But yeah, I think, I think you've got to be, you've got to just be a little, little bit smarter, haven't you? In, in certain, certain aspects of the game. I mean, no one, I don't think anybody wants us to be constantly in the referee's face but in certain games you know that you know that referees will be swayed by certain players or certain types of players so historically we've always had issues when we've come up against Mark Noble for example but a prime prime sort of instigator of basically chatting the ref chatting to the referee all through the game constantly getting little tiny little 50-50 decisions in in his favor Kevin Nolan previously was a was a fine exhibitor of that as well and it's it's those sort of players, and Connor Cody is is obviously a talker for Wolves, and he mm. he organises that backline for them superbly well. But because he's because he's obviously a, a sort of widely respect respected player as well, and that go, that goes sort of among opposition players and referees, that means that he kind of has a little bit more leeway to to get in the referee's face. And he was he was constantly 
chatting with the referee or whenever whenever the camera panned in you could see that he was shouting at the ref um there was there was no real sort of shouting at um at teammates going on because they practiced a week they know they know where they've got to be and yeah we've got to be got to be a little bit smarter with that i think whether it's prousey whether it's romeo um one of those two has got to be kind of picking up that picking up that baton and and running with it a little bit on on our side of things Jack and it's Stevens sm- is the best at it he is <laughs> from a Southampton point of view because at Swansea when he was using is he was in the team and obviously there were no fans again and it reminded me of what it was like a little while ago in an empty stadiums and just how loud and vocal Jack Stevens is at the referee non-stop after like two minutes at Swansea he was on the referee's back for a foul and it just goes on and on and on but he he was the only one that did it and and obviously he's not he's not guaranteed a place in the side no no this is true. Um, it kind of highlights the small margins, though, Glenn. We had more possession, more shots on target, more corners. Just back to the old lapsing concentration, Fraser Forster coming for yeah. a cross that he had absolutely no chance of, of getting. It was, it was disappointing <laughs> to watch the three goals. Yeah, yeah horrible. Yeah, but it all comes down to what you do in the two penalty areas at the end of the day. You know, having, having possession in the middle third, you know, it's all well and good. And I was very frustrated, even though we had quite a few chances the the amount of times we gave the ball away sort of like as we got to the final third um there was a few um disappointing performances out there brozier was quiet redmond i thought was poor yeah and they're the the sort of the, the two furthest forward if you like um and and it and that to me and this is what i mean about us being sort of disjointed i, I felt like sometimes diallo picked up the ball and he didn't really know what to do you know there was there was a there was a struggle there and we we, we got sucked into playing the way Wolves wanted us to play. And, you know, they don't want possession particularly. They want to sit tight until you make a mistake or until you overcommit and then they'll they'll hit you on the break. And we kind of played into their hands. We didn't we didn't didn't stay patient, really. And, you know, and we threw in the first two goals, which just made it very, very difficult. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a it was a difficult afternoon. On another day, we could have got something out of it. And, you know, and we very did with very nearly did with Perot's head of the hit post, but uh, you know, not to be. And and to me, the third goal, yes, okay, we've contributed contributed to our own downfall again. But it, at the end of the day, it didn't really matter in the scheme of things. Yeah, is that the problem, the missing piece at the moment, Steve? Do we need to find a way of playing better and getting results against those kind of teams? Because you know, on paper, and actually, it was two decent teams, and it was a it was a good game of football. But um, we just we need to find a way of taking those chances and cutting out the errors. No, I, I actually I actually think kind of almost the opposite. I think we need to find a way of getting results when we play badly, because actually that hasn't happened that uh, very often this this season. And while I think first half we were we were largely on top. Um, I mean, we created half chances more than anything other than, I think, Salasu obviously had that header, which he put straight at the keeper. I mean, literally half a yard either side and he scores. It's probably not a difficult header that as well, no. I, I don't should, think. Should have scored. Um, and Teller's one where he um, put it over the bar about a minute later. I mean, Brozier was flagged offside, but I wonder whether, not, not wholly convinced that um, VAR wouldn't have overturned that because... Brogia didn't make didn't make contact, didn't really try for it either. It was well over his head. But second second half we were we we had a lot of the ball and did nothing with it really up until um up until the last the last sort of ten, fifteen minutes where we started sort of really having a go. Got the goal back, should have should have then got an equalizer, really. But it was I mean, I would say that was probably one of our I mean both both games against Wolves have been probably among our poorest performances of the season, which given that we could could and probably should have got results out of both of them. Um, says we're probably still not in too bad a place. 
Hmm. Let's talk about that James Ward-Prowse free kick then. Dan, was it as good in real life as it was on the telly? <laughs> oh, it was ridiculous. It was just <laughs> utterly ridiculous. And when he was, because it was quite, it was it was a long way out. And I I thought, oh, he you know he put this one into the box, cross it, and then no none of the Saints players were kind of lining up, and you could see from his angle that he wasn't crossing that ball, and it it was just ridiculous. Like. You took a moment, like, did that go in? Like, did that actually go in? Did it? Because Sarah had been really good all game. And you just thought, wow. And then you just a replay from behind where you think, oh, it's so far out, the keeper should save it. But the, the movement, it was just, it wasn't his normal technique either because he normally kind of like gets his foot around it and like whips it. Whereas this was kind of more like a Ronaldo sort of knuckleball type thing where he just put his foot through it. And the, the movement on the ball was just, yeah. I mean, I asked Ralph afterwards if it was more done out of, out of frustration than anything. And he said, no, he's been practicing that technique in the week. So wow. it's just, yeah, I, I, you know, I think Ralph was asked if he was the best free kick taker in the world. Um, I mean, I don't know world football enough to, to say that, but I, I, whenever he stands over the ball, you just think it's going in and, I don't, I don't think there's another Premier League player that kind of comes close to that in terms no. of that skill, the technique, the ability that you just think nine times out of 10, if Southampton have got a free kick in that position, I always think they're going to score. And there's Kevin De Bruyne at Man City maybe, but I think Prowse is a level up in terms mm. of set pieces from him as well. So it was just remarkable. Ronaldo, Ronaldo's always hyped, isn't he, when they get a free yeah, kick yeah, around yeah. there and, and then he always either pings it into the wall or into the back yeah. of the stand. Ronaldo's is a show though, isn't it? Ronaldo's is the kind of the big, the breathing in, you know, the, yeah, the yeah. letting it show. It's all just, and then he hit, it hits the wall, but Prousey <laughs> is just, it's just pure. It well, was, yeah, one of the best free kicks I've seen in person without it was doubt. A- it was a real shame what? yesterday that it wasn't the winner because the way oh, he yeah. just he buried the ball and then it, just because he's such that professional, it was right, jog back to the halfway line. No let's golf crack swing on. either. And let, let's try, like yeah, let's, let's, let's crack yeah. on because, yeah, we, we need to try and get something out of this. So, I mean, what did you just make one, of that? Just one more thing on that. Yeah, what, what is so good about it is because he hit it with a different technique, goalkeepers always knew roughly, I mean, I always knew where he was going to put it. You know, every free kick, as Dan said, he hits with the same technique. It's whipped over the wall. It's to the sort of top left corner as he looks at it. And the fact that he's now hit one the other way, that's going to get goalkeepers thinking about what what am I doing here? Yeah, Saar Sa took a big step to his yeah, right. Yeah. And that was that was what screwed him, basically. He had, he had no chance of getting back to it. But yeah, did you see that. the one, I don't know if you'd have seen it on Match of the Day or if you found a stream where Prousey was further out than he was for the one he scored from. He was kind of to the left a bit. And he he did set up to cross it, and Saar was in like position that you would yeah. kind of. No, and he, he went, went to go went to post. try and put it in yeah. the corner, didn't he? I thought that was cheap. That would have gone in, I think, as well had that been on target. Because um, I think I think I remember was it Brentford when they lost to Fulham in the playoff final a couple of years ago. Fulham player scored from a from a very similar situation, caught the caught the Brentford keeper out completely. It, yeah, I mean you. I, I guess you you look at the position of the keeper if he's setting himself up and you're in that wide wide position but not like right on the touchline but in a sort of within the width of the 18 yard box and you're and you see the keeper is has kind of set himself in that he's fully expecting this ball to be delivered into the box so he's getting himself ready to come and take the cross so he's left left a huge gap at the near post if you're if you've got both the accuracy and the power to be able to put it in that near post from 40 yards away absolutely go for it Hmm. um i mean it didn't come off he was put it what about a yard or two wide but but Saar wouldn't have come, wouldn't have been positioning himself that far no. out again. 
No, it, it, even thinking about that free kick now was just ridiculous. It was just <laughs> such a good, it was one of them things that I, I watch so much like football and you're in, when everyone's like, oh, you must have a team and I, I don't. And it's the moments that I enjoy. And that is one of the moments that, that just sticks with you because it was just pure, just pure class and pure skill that it was, yeah, it was just so good to, to kind of see live. It reminded me of the Ronaldo one in like 2008, 2009. He scored against David James at Old Trafford where he hit over the wall and it just, bent away from Jane. I remember watching on Sky Sports and it, yeah. yeah, it was just so good to be there for, for that goal. And I think he'll catch Beckham's record as well. I think he'll do that quite Should comfortably. Look fairly, fairly comfortably at the current I right? think so, yeah. But the good news is that James Ward-Prowse territory is getting bigger. You know, it was like yeah. in and around the 18-yard line, wasn't it? And now we're looking at maybe 25, 30 yards out and yeah. and who knows? So um, yeah, shame, shame that we didn't get anything out of it because I think it deserved more than it got. The other game this week was Brentford. The floodgates finally opened, Steve. We've been talking about that for a while. So <laughs> it would have been a late yeah. night for you, I guess. But The minute uh... he stopped saying it's going to happen, it happened. <laughs> yeah. uh, did you enjoy that one? Yeah, that was excellent. I mean, I think we were... It was weird that the first the first half, we were we were well on top without really creating a huge amount. I mean, got got the early goal, obviously, from, from the corner. I mean, Brent, Brentford's defending throughout was... Just, I mean, you, you kind of looked look back at all four goals and you just think, what the hell are they doing? Basically, for all of them, there is there is something terrible going on from from their perspective. But I mean, the first one is literally just a ball, just a ball into a good area, and Saints players are the only ones actually attacking the ball. Brentford, all the Brentford, I think six or seven of them in that six yard box were all static, um, and that was basically why they why the goal why that went in. I mean, the first first rest of the first half I think Brentford had a what a five minute spell around when they scored which I mean let's 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 credit the the finish on that the technique for that volley was was absolutely ridiculous as well but other than they then had a the same player had a shot about a minute later didn't he which uh, forced a palmed away up and other than that I mean while the game was still live those were basically the only the only chances they created and we we held them at arm's length and I mean, I found it baffling that they played such a high line in that second half, which just gave us the opportunity just to ping balls either over the top or or thread thread balls through the middle, and we scored from one of each of those, which is good. Probably should have probably should have had two or three more. And <laughs> but I guess I mean, last fifteen twenty minutes, we took our foot off the gas, conserving energy for the weekend, which is understandable. Mm. Gave them what well, I think they had three really good chances in the space of about a minute, which kind of all got a little bit frantic. But again, other than that, that was kind of the the sort of limit that, that they had really. And I think I think Brentford I think they're going if they're if their away performances are going to be like that on a consistent basis, then relying on their home form to keep them up is a dangerous game to be playing, I think. Mm. Well, all the talk before the game was who was going to come in at, at right back. And uh, we ended up with a, a midfield three in the end, Glenn, which I don't think any of us saw come in. It was um, Diallo, Romeo and, and James Ward-Prowse. Really good effort, I thought, having played two hours against Swansea um, at the weekend. But yeah. what did you make of that that, that initial starting lineup and, and, and the team sheet? Because that was a surprise for us anyway. Well, I think when you saw the 11 names, you expected Ward-Prowse to be at right back or right wing back. And of course, you know, wasn't. So, yeah, Nathan Teller was over there. So, I'd say limited success. I mean, it was better to have Ward-Prowse in the middle of the team, of course, because he's playing really well at the moment. And I felt like, you know, it it went okay. We got away with it. We played really well second half. But the first half, say there was Perot and Diallo on the left, didn't really seem to know where they should be. But we were... You know, we've been crying out for us to be clinical. We we were clinical that game. You know, we we 
we we scored goals from I think it was five shots on target, four goals. Now, if you are clinical, it covers a multitude of sins. And I, I wouldn't say, you know, we were talking about, Steve was talking about earlier about, you know, playing badly and winning. I'm not going to say we played badly, but I could argue that we didn't play, you know, winning 4-1 well. It was okay, but we, you know, we scored goals when we had the chances. And, and the most impressive thing to me was um, was Brozier's goal because once he, got, once he got the ball, you knew that A, they weren't going to catch him and B, there was a 90% chance he was going to score. And it, it's not often I feel that confident when one of our one of our strikers is um, is going through on goal. So to me, that was the uh, that was the highlight of the game for me. And um, and yeah, the, but I, going back to the original question about formations, I, I feel like we could have probably put any formation out there against Brentford, and we probably would have won. Fair enough, <laughs> um, Dan. Fairy tale start in front of the new owners too. Um, it, it was a statement it, win, wasn't it? It, it looked like they enjoyed themselves. Yeah, two thirds of the ownership there. I think Dragon particularly particularly enjoyed himself when he got past the scarf. I saw it because on that in the press box, you got like kind of little monitors where you can see replays, and it's just basically the feed of the game. And then I'd saw, and he's kind of waving the scarf, and I thought, oh no, that's that. Like that's just cardinal sin for any new owner to do, isn't it? Is like wave the club scarf. You've seen Mike Ashley do it. You've seen them all do it. And you just think, don't, please don't do it. But when you kind of found out where he got it from, it's quite a nice little story to it. So, yeah, I mean, if they're going to pick a game, they, they pick the right one to turn up to. We'll see, we'll see whether they're all smiling on Saturday. But <laughs> <laughs> And is it right he gave his tie away? You, I think you wrote Yeah, that, he did. You? Yeah, so the, the fan that gave him the, the scarf at the end, he gave the scarf back and gave him his kind of club tie as a, a thank you. And then went up to, well, say he would have been upstairs anyway, but then Ralph joined them upstairs for a for kind of a, a chat after he'd spoken to the media. Yeah, I'm sure he can afford his own scarf. <laughs> Do you know, I did think, why don't they just give him a scarf? What, well, you don't want, you just don't want to, you don't, it's not good. It's no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to be the club that hands out a scarf to the new owner and say, just hold this, you know, fans will love you for it. <laughs> Much better that he got given the scarf, I think. Do you remember, do you remember Rupert Lowe with his training kit and the, and the initials oh. on it that was a fabulous <laughs> moment that was so wearing a wearing a scarf is nowhere near that and the, uh, the Let, let's go wild t-shirts as well oh, remember them man. Oh, Lord. they'd have been impressed with what they saw though steve wouldn't they on uh on, on tuesday night yeah certainly i mean you can't can't really go much better than a, a comfortable three goal three goal win on the on your sort of home debut if you like I and mean, as long as as long as he kind of accepts that it's not gonna be like that every week because it absolutely won't be. No. Um, then, then, we're, then, um, hopefully, we'll be all right. But yeah, good, good start. All right, let's get on to Saturday. Then we can't put it off any longer. Um, the last time we played Man City, we came close to causing an upset. Um, any chance of an upset on Saturday, Glenn? Do you think any chance of an upset? Um, on the face of it, no. But why not? They got to lose at some point. I mean, what are they? Thirteen points clear at the top of the league now, and they've—they've—I don't know how many games they've—they've they've won in a row. I—I I, I stopped paying attention to it was be about honest. Twelve, wasn't it? Or was it? Yeah, gone yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we go out there, zero expectations as as supporters. But I'm sure Ralph's not thinking about it like that. They struggled against us last time up at the Etihad. You know, we. <laughs> We we went with the four two 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 formation. They didn't seem to be able to deal with it. We were all over them from the from the first minute. And with a different referee other than John Moss, we could possibly have won it because we had a uh, we had um Carl's Walker Carl Walker's hundred percent hundred mile an hour body check against Adam Armstrong that that was overturned. Remember, we also you know we had a VR VAR decision go for us in the ninety third minute or wherever it was. Mm. So from that from that point of view, we'll we'll go into it thinking, well, we did okay against these last time, so why not? But we have started to let in bad goals and you can't 
do that if you want to get any sort of result against Manchester City. So I always think these games are 10 minutes at a time. You try and get through the first 10 minutes, you try and get through the next 10 minutes. And if you're, if you're still in the game in the second half, then, you know, then hopefully you can nick something. But I mean, you can't predict which 11 50 million pound players they're going to stick out on the pitch. You, you've just got to pick what you think is the is is the correct uh, formation, correct personnel to go about a game where you're obviously not going to have much of the ball. So it's got to be players that are that are disciplined, and you've just got to just got to see how it goes. But uh, yeah, having any expectations of getting anything out of it, I think, is a very dangerous game to play, and you will ultimately probably be disappointed. And Steve, it's probably fair to say that both sides are a bit stronger than when they last met. How do you reckon this one's going to play out on Saturday? I mean, let's be honest, they're going to have 70, 80% of the ball and it's going to be down to us maintaining positional discipline, get a little bit of luck in the, at any given moment. That group of players can produce a moment of quality that will outfox any defence, uh, no matter how, how well drilled we are and how, how prepared we are for, for any sort of eventuality. They're good enough to be able to overcome that. And I think we've just got to be realistic in that if we get a chance, we have to take it. Um, because you ain't going to get many against against that team. Um, I mean, as good as they are going forwards, um, they're also surprisingly strong defensively. Which I mean, lo- I mean, let's be honest, most of it, most of that is because they've because they have the ball most of the time. So if you don't don't have the ball, you probably can't score more often mm-hmm. than not. But I mean, they've they've still got good defensive players. I mean, they've got one of the best goalkeepers in the world. I mean, I I was absolutely staggered looking at their team sheet on Saturday lunchtime that Ruben Diaz couldn't even get in the starting eleven for what is ostensibly their biggest league game in the season. And it was annoying from my fancy league perspective as well. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, when, when you're able to leave out a £60 million and a half, then yeah, you you know that you've got good players in, in all positions. And, mm-hmm. and from our perspective, it's, as Glenn said, low expectation. If we get, in, if we get anything out of it, it's a bonus. But yeah. basically the, 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 th- the thing has got to be just don't get battered. <laughs> Which we've said before. Dan, should we be nervous? Is there, is there any chance we can get anything out of this? Or uh, is it just um, hope for the best? I mean, I can't remember what my prediction was from the game at the Etihad, but I probably said 4-0 or 5-0. So yeah, I mean, there's absolutely a chance they can get something out of it. But <laughs> I just can't see it. See, you're on one of their roles, aren't they? And mm. they are just a, an absolute powerhouse. Quality all over the pitch, I think the best Southampton could do is try and scrape a draw or just not be humiliated, which I don't think they will be humiliated, to be honest. I think, I kind of think that is, the Liverpool game aside, I kind of think that's that's past them now where they just, you know, collapse, mentally collapse and just, you know, concede four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, I don't think that will happen. But yeah, it'd be one of them games when it, Man City will need to be at 70% and Southampton will need to be at 100% if they're going to get a result. That's how good Man City are. Um, I thought this year would be an actual title race between three teams. I thought all season it would be Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, and it was going to be going down to the wire. But they've seemingly got the league wrapped up Hmm. already and it's not even the end of January yet. So, And they didn't even go and sign a striker. So it's yeah, they're just a joy to watch, aren't they? And the thing I like about City is that through all this kind of COVID and throwing the towel, like some teams you think, you know, gaming the system or anything, I know they've got an incredible squad of players, but... To be fair, they are just getting on with it. You know, they sent a team down to the FA Cup. They're just getting on with it. And I, I quite admire that. Pep's just going about his business quietly. And of course, you do have to add in there that, you know, they can leave one of the, the league's best defenders on the bench. It is quite a nice position to be in when you're playing your 
as Steve said, you know, arguably your biggest game. But yeah, it, it's it's yeah, I'm looking forward to it because they're always good to watch. The only thing I worry about for Southampton is that they've been on a really good run, but now there's a good chance they may not pick up some Premier League points for a while. And you kind of that's the only like the thing that after the Wolves game that I came away thinking oh, that's just a shame they didn't get a point now because it's unlikely you know that they could go their next three league games without any points and then you think well that's four games without any points now and it just kind of changes the narrative a little bit but that's me probably thinking kind of too far ahead but that not concerns me a little bit but yeah it would be easy to change the narrative if they you know they lose to City, Tottenham and United the kind of good momentum they built up from kind of West Ham, Tottenham and then Brentford kind of goes away, doesn't it? It doesn't really count for too much if they then don't pick up it's any a li- It's kind of thinking about what's relative though, isn't it? I mean, Spur- City, um, Spurs and United are three games that ordinarily you wouldn't expect us to get anything from, um, especially no. those last two away from home. At home against Spurs or United, I mean, we, we obviously drew with, um, drew both games this this season. United, we should have won. Um, Spurs, we may well have won if we kept eleven men on the pitch. So yeah, I, th- I think it's I think it's all, I think it's all relative that yeah we we may end up going four get uh, four defeats on the trot. But the work that we've done in the last month has put us in the position where actually that's not that big a deal, and we can no, reset. No, no, we no, can no, reset no. And go again. Absolutely it's, agreed. Just in terms of the calendar, it, it could potentially be six weeks because we've got that strange international break coming up. Then we've got the FA Cup weekend. So actually, you know, we might be well into February before we end up getting any more points on the board. So Yeah, um, I mean, I'm already dreading the Man United game because I just know what it'll be all week. It'll just be Ralph, Ralph v. Ralph, you know, yeah. student yeah, we, v. master type thing. At the moment... But we've got, uh, we got the Spurs, after... game, Spurs game midweek, haven't we? So it'll only be a three-day build-up. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're asking about it before Spurs. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but I mean... I was you... saying, after Thursday's press conference uh, last season, it was, will Danny Ying stay? Is he going to sign the contract? That has very quickly now turned into, are you going to sign Brozier? Like, <laughs> this time last year, it was, is Ings going to sign? This time it's, will Brozier stay? Go on, Glenn. Yeah, well, I just think Manchester City is a, is a totally different ball game to playing Spurs or Man United, especially Man United at the moment. Hmm. You know, they, they've been sort of like massively poor in the in the games that I've seen. They've you know they kept the results up for the same reason that they kept the results up when Ollie was in charge, in that they've got fantastic individual players, but they don't they don't look to know what they're doing. Hmm. <laughs> so if we were playing if we were previewing previewing Spurs or Man United today, I'd be sort of like much more optimistic about getting something out of the game. So I don't see those two games as um you know as sort of free hits at all. Hmm. Um Manchester City are a different level altogether and they're they're a different level even to Liverpool and Chelsea at the moment as as is borne out by the league table so uh, no I certainly um I would be disappointed if we got beat by both Tottenham and Man United to be honest given the the current state of those two teams let's do some score predictions for Saturday then Daniel right I don't remember what your prediction was for the game at the Emirates but do you want to go first for this weekend the Etihad prediction uh, for the Emirates was sorry, wrong the Etihad, as well Etihad, I yeah. my prediction for the Emirates <laughs> would have definitely been wrong um <laughs> This they weekend, all merge into one, don't they? <laughs> let's go three-one Man City. I think. All right, Steve. Um, yeah, I, th- I think probably comfortable. I suspect we'll probably struggle to lay too much of a glove on them attacking-wise. So two-nil. And Glenn, uh, I've got two-nil Man City written down as well. So I'll uh, I'll go with that. Stick with that. We mentioned Brozier as well, and Dan, you said about the the press conferences. I just wanted to get your your thoughts on that. Um, the three of you, really. Um, I think the quote this week was, "We will find the right conversation with the player, the agents, the club, 
and what they want. What's the latest on this, Dan? Because I know that you've been in those press conferences and you've written about this uh, at the week as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that news story was just kind of born out of what Ralph said, and that was that Broja's family, of, uh, I think his words were very, very keen for him to stay here longer and they have absolutely confirmed that so that's where that news story came from and then he also said that Martin Simmons has been in in talks with his kind of counterparts at Chelsea over Brozier's future that you know, they were direct quotes from Ralph I think it, it's I kind of sense that the Brozier thing will die down a little bit now I think I it's Chelsea are in a position where he's got so many he's got so long left on his contract Southampton on the other hand you know, it's only January and he his form could realistically fall off a cliff from now until the end of the season. And then you wonder whether there would be the same clamour from supporters, kind mm-hmm. of, you know, we need to sign him now, we need to sign him now. I think best thing for both parties is just to wait a little bit, see where it is. And once you get to April time, if he's still kind of proving to be a cut above what you already have, then absolutely, I think you go to Chelsea and say, look, what can what can we do now? I'd be surprised if there was another loan move. Uh, I, I don't know, I'd, I'm not sure on that. And then it's just a case of if Chelsea want to sell, how much? Um, could they be clever about it again and put in a buyback clause or or something like that? Because I just don't see, as good as he has been at Southampton, I don't see him getting into the Chelsea team. It's just not their way. They would rather go out and buy you know, another £100 million striker, seemingly. And it's just like Tino, isn't it? Look, yeah, you can have him. I don't think they'd get him anywhere near as cheap as Tino, but you have him. If he turns out any good, we're buying back and he'll come straight into our team and he's ready-made. You know, Chelsea managers don't have time to, to put their faith in young strikers. That's why they went out and bought Lukaku and didn't mm. give Brozier a chance in the first place. So, yeah, I think it's a wait and see for, for now. And do you agree with that, Glenn? Because a lot of people this week have obviously put two and two together. New owner coming in, watching his first game. He scores a hell of a goal. You know, the, the headlines kind of write themselves. But I think it might have been Ralph this week who said, actually, if you do sign a player like that, then you get the expectation that comes with a, a big fee. And that might not be right. Because at the moment, the, the, the pressure's off to a certain extent. Um, I agree with what Dan just said there. But from our point of view as a club, with the length of contract he's got at Chelsea his value is only going to go up if he keeps on scoring a few go you know if he keeps on like if he scores I don't know another six or seven goals between now and the end of the season I'm just guessing the, the price now might be 25 million it'll be 30 million at the end of the season <laughs> his, his value isn't going to go down over the next three or four transfer windows because of the length of contract he's got at Chelsea whether Chelsea would sell or not Chelsea are a very strange club when it comes to contracts um, I see they've just given a long-term contract to Mishi Batswai who's never played and he's never going to play but they just do it to sort of I don't know why they do it protect the value I guess so and they obviously play stuff. yeah they obviously don't see him as part of their future first team that's why I'm talking about hmm. do they see do they see Brozier as that I I don't know I mean it's it can only be a positive thing that if that's true about his family wanting him to to stay because he's playing and enjoying it that that can only be a positive thing because they will obviously have an influence but who would like to guess what Mr. Abramovich and his um and his and his people have have, have you know got in mind for him. I I don't I, I I really don't know, but I think Saints have got you know I think we've got to realise that if you, if you want to buy a player to play as a striker in the Premier League, it's incredibly unlikely you're going to get away with spending fifteen million. Fifteen million gets you a striker from the Championship, like we did with Che Adams, like we did with Adam Armstrong, and they're going to get seven eight goals in a season. If Brozier can prove his worth and get 15 in a season, you're not going to get him for 15 million. You know, you're going to have to pay 
more than that to to get a player and 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 maybe now with the new owner maybe maybe we're capable of doing that but i i don't think you can skimp at the top end of the pitch and 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 you know get a player who's going to score a bundle of goals for you we've got plenty of experience with that haven't we do we just enjoy it while it lasts at the moment steve and see what happens see how it plays out yeah i think so um i mean i think the the noises coming from coming from his family and stuff and him sort of being obviously being very happy and here and want and supposedly wanting to stay. I mean, it, it all sounds a little bit Toby Aldevera for me. Yeah, mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those don't get don't get too excited because you know that there's strong possibility that come the summer someone comes in and and completely stiffs us. So yeah, I mean, enjoy him while he's here, while he's while he's our player, then great. But we have basically once once he goes once that ends in uh, the end of May, beginning of June, then we've got very little control yeah so one of those cross 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 that bridge when we come to it if there's a deal to be done and it makes it makes sense for us then great um if not then obviously we've got to look at look all to um, find someone else yeah look at another option somewhere yeah um a couple of other bits before we finish i want to just go through a conversation that we sort of had on twitter this week which was alistair who's one of our patrons was talking about the the ploy of the team going down around 60 to 70 minutes to let the team take on some energy bars have a chat with ralph that kind of stuff dan do you just want to pick up on this because i know you wrote about this back in it was november wasn't it the piece that the team have they've got a bit more i know we mentioned it earlier streetwise as it were yeah no yeah and it it just made me chuckle when i saw that because (laughs) Was it Danny I'd Higginbottom? Spoke, I'd spoken to Danny Higginbottom the day before and I, uh, I told him so then, about it. He's, so then he's, he was quoting you on US telly, but without mentioning yeah, the source, I, I assume. So Danny is one of the best pundits. <laughs> in my opinion, he's one of the best pundits. He will do so much research before he covers a game. You know, I know he speaks to quite a few of our reporters before he's doing one of their games. And it was just one of the little things that, that came to my mind. And I thought that might be quite a nice detail for you to have. And they did it. And I sent him a picture of them on the pitch as he did it. And he was like, I mentioned that at half time. Yeah, it, it's just about last season. And it's the same with Salasu. Ralph, Ralph said it about Salasu. Um, he's not actually said about the deliberate kind of go down. Everyone goes and get a little energy sachet. But with the long throw-ins, he said the other week, that it's not a tactical thing. He's not doing it because he thinks he's roaring the lap. He's doing it because what does it take? You know, how long does it take a, a centre back to get to travel seventy yards up the pitch to throw a ball? And what does everyone do when they're when they're waiting for him? They're standing around getting energy again. So it's all kind of like little marginal things that he's doing because last season the you know the, the club accepted that they can't last ninety minutes playing this way. They just can't do it. They fell off. They by like 60, 70 minutes they were knackered. So what they're doing now is. They've just been a bit more clever about it. So they get Salasu to kind of walk over 70 yards to throw a ball in. You might score from it, you might not. But that gives everyone a minute, a minute and a half's rest. A player will go down 60 to 70 minutes. What does that do? Everyone walks over to the sideline, gets an energy sachet. As the injured player, injured player walks off, he's drinking his own little energy sachet. Then he comes back on. It's just little things like that that they're trying to do to you know, keep them in games for 90 minutes. And yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's quite clever. Did we do it yesterday, Steve? Did you spot it yesterday? Because uh, are we looking out for it now? I yeah, I didn't notice it. <laughs> um, but there was there was that there was a sort of middle period of that second half where everything kind of blurred into one. I, I mean, I I completely missed the first substitution when Shea Adams came on for Diallo. Um, that was half time. Half time. What was it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> paying that, pay that much attention. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there was there was a, probably a fifteen minute spell from yeah, pretty much from start the second half through till sort of I think when we made the second sub 
um, where kind of everything just kind of seemed to blur into one. Nothing, nothing happened at either end of the pitch, and it was all just pass, pass. It was like it was like that little um, that clip from The Simpsons where they showed the was it the Mexico against Portugal game on like in the World Cup on there, and they're literally just passing it between each other and not going anywhere. Um, it kind of kind of That's felt a niche a bit like reference. That. Oh yes. <laughs> The other thing I wanted to mention just before we finish, this won't concern you, Dan, about the Fantasy Premier League. Um, you managed to get out of this at the start of the season, but now we're into the new year. I had a quick look today at the, the TSP patron FPL table, and we always talk about the, the football experts that we have on the panel. That's probably not borne out when you look at the uh, the league table at the moment. This is the uh, the league that's open to all the TSP patrons. There's a prize at the end of the season for uh, for the winner. Congratulations to Tom McCann, who's currently top with his, um, I think it's Manchester City, 1,383 points chris armsridge is second james gray is third just for the benefit of the three of us uh, i seem to be 10th at the moment glenn 16th no, it's all right. and then steve 23rd at the really? moment you said you've had your struggles with the, the games being postponed and uh, it, it's difficult at the moment yeah i i try i burned four points on friday i think uh friday morning uh transferring in i made two two changes because I had Sun and Cornet who were both out for the next month. Um, Sun's injured, Cornet's at AFCON. So I, I basically used two transfers to get, get rid of both of them and bring in, uh, who did I bring in? James Madison and <laughs> someone else. And then, and then literally, literally an hour after I'd made those transfers, <laughs> the Leicester game gets called off. So it's your fault. <laughs> it's like, oh, for goodness sake. You're not Give doing up. as bad as producer Alex, by the way. He's propping up the table with 599 points. He's still got uh, Torres and uh, Benjamin Mende in his team. So, uh, <laughs> ooh, uh, it's not to... <laughs> me, me, what is it? Me Machine 11? Not not taking it too seriously this year. Uh, but if you are involved, it is worth checking out. And uh, congratulations to Tom, who's top at the moment. Uh, Chris in second place and James, who's third. Uh, before we go, quick shout out to our loyal and much loved patrons. As always, the Matt Letizia tier patrons. We've got Colt Baker, Dave Ernsberger, Ed busy and phil cook a new francis benali tier member as well this week matt hall welcome to matt hall thank you very much for your support uh, also nick reed in our funny benali tier and you can find out more about becoming a tsp patron and all the benefits that come with that over on the website uh, thanks dan thanks steve thank you glenn have a good week chaps Thank you. Thank you. Uh, don't forget to follow the podcast uh, wherever you're listening on the socials. It's at Total Saints Pod. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook, and you can always drop us a little email via the website as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.